0: Join us on a journey from Genesis to Revelation. All 66 books. The big book, cover to cover. This is Michael Easley in context.
1: Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context. As you already know, we have had great responses on our 10 questions and we've got some exciting folks that are coming on in the near future, but A really exciting person who's about 38 (laughs) inches away from me as we speak is my executive producer and daughter, Hannah Seymour. And a while back, she turned the tables and asked me the 10 questions. And we had such a resounding response from people, I probably got more emails and texts than anything we've done in a while, Hannah.
0: It was a fun episode. Yeah.
1: I said, well, sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. So I get to ask you these questions. And you were so eager to say, sure, dad.
0: Yeah. I was like, no one wants to listen to me answer these
1: questions. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's taken me three weeks to convince you to do it.
0: Oh, maybe three months. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so we're going to jump right in. The concept of In Context, we talk about our ministry here, understanding God's word in context and applying it to your life. And then we play off that and say, how do you as a believer live in your context of ministry and work and so forth? You are in ministry, but you're also a mom, you're also an author, you're also a speaker. So tell us a little bit about how you navigate this in context where you are, where God has you.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question for me because I feel like I really had to redefine what that meant, what my context meant. As I was in higher ed, that was my context forever, whether I was a college student or a grad student working 10 plus years on college campuses. So that was like, would have been such an easy answer for me if you would ask me that seven years ago. What's your back context? At, higher back ed. in
1: George Washington or Belmont University? Yeah, yeah, higher ed.
0: And more recently, I've come to realize, as my life has in many ways simplified, I've had to redefine my context. I'm going, okay, my primary roles right now today, they will change, is A, to my family, being a wife, and a mom to my two boys. Something that became really important to me about two years ago was being a neighbor. Like a literal, not just we love our neighbors, like a literal, I'm on a street that is precious with all young families. There were seven of us that had babies in 2019. Goodness. I was the, well, I think there were two of us that already had kids, but most of them were first-time moms. And so really trying to think through how do I be a good neighbor and build relationships with these women, some who know the Lord, some who don't. So those two things really like inside my home and I mean, immediately outside of my home became my primary focus of this is where God has me now. As a professional
1: woman, who always wanted to have a family, etc. How did your perspective change from that? I'm a professional woman. I'm on a university staff. Now I'm a mom with two boys and more children in your future. What was surprising to you?
0: Well, it was hard. And I i mean, it's funny. I kind of call it, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis. It's so funny because age is so different these days of I'm 36 but really I'm a young mom. I mean I'm not a young mom but I'm a young mom. <laughs> and I've been married almost 7 years which in some ways is a long time but in some ways it's not. Anyway, all that to say, when it shifted, I really struggled with is God even using me today? And it was something that I was processing a lot with Tyler. I invited a couple in, I mean, some of our dear friends, really one night, it was kind of out of desperation. I had been spiraling with Tyler and started processing it with them. And that's really what birthed my podcast, which is so funny because Tyler kept looking at me going, Hannah, if Hannah Easley Seymour is struggling with this question, how many women out there are struggling with this question, just like you? And that's where no matter what with Hannah Seymour came out of is, you know, I mean, stolen from you? Am I going to be who God created me to be no matter what my circumstance looks like right now? And right now, it's not mentoring hundreds of students, college girls a year. It's being with my two boys and my husband and sometimes seeing you. I mean, my world is very small today. And Mm -hmm. yes, I have a book that's out there and I get the opportunities to speak and write, but 90% of my life is a very small sphere of influence.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about your neighborhood, I'm thinking 1950s America. Yeah. That's what it was. Families grew up together, yeah. pulled the wagon together. Yeah. Parents, I mean, unbelievably disciplined each other's children on the same block. Oh, yeah. Now we've gone through a very different America, but you're kind of in a, a Mary Berry RFD almost. We,
0: I mean, we are. Yeah. We totally and, are. I mean,
1: you've got some families on the block that are a little challenging. Yeah, yeah like we do. every neighborhood. Yeah, we do. But I mean, your mom and I look at that and go... We never had that. Yeah. And then for your mom, her trajectory was, you know, when we got engaged in dating, she wanted four children and she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, yeah. she wanted to go to law school before I ruined her professional career and sure. married her. I kind of feel like that yeah. with Tyler, too. I'm yeah. like, I
0: still think maybe I should go to law school or at yeah. least have my doctorate by now. Right.
1: <laughs> well, I tried to help you get your doctorate, but, you know. Hey, the fat I, lady I, hasn't
0: sewn yet. I, yeah. I, I okay. really do believe I'll have a doctorate okay. And so
1: then after you guys got older... And she was around other women who were working. Yeah. And again, the Christian community has changed so much because working outside the home, that was different, you know, 50 years ago, yeah. 20 years ago. Today, it's almost you're unusual if you're a, quote, stay-at-home parent, yeah. not a mom, stay-at-home parent, uh, you're almost unusual mm-hmm. and most people. So culture changes, pressures change. But all I have to say, it's interesting to hear your process on that because take it by faith in a blink of the eye, those children of yours are going to be off to college. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, the Lord's certainly using you in ways you can't measure. When you look at this, secondly, what's been the greatest challenge yeah. in your own spiritual journey? Has it been this transition?
0: Maybe. Uh, certainly, I think that's one of those, something I've been thinking about a lot. Mom and I are teaching Romans 12 in, gosh, not even two months. Probably sooner or even after, once this episode's actually released, but— part of Romans 12 is this idea of having a sober self-assessment and as C.S. Lewis says, you know, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less of yourself. And, and I think that in many ways has been my challenge with my own sin my whole life. And I've aired on, I guess on both sides of the sober self-assessment where growing up as a PK and I, you know, whether it was DNA in me or just, you and mom's parenting, or maybe a combo. I have been a very confident person <laughs> 99.9% of my life. And so there have been seasons of life where I have overestimated my abilities and sense of self-worth and that God should be using me in these grandiose ways. And then other times, like more recently of going, why would God even use me at all? And what am mm-hmm. I even doing? And, and so I think in some ways that has been my struggle of that pendulum of going back and forth and having to come back center and say, I'm a child of God. That's my identity. And that's where my worth mm-hmm. and value and impact comes from, and he can use me on a stage speaking to 4,000 college women, which I've had the opportunity of doing, but he can also use me, you know, just raising my two little boys and...
1: Two most perfect boys <laughs> on the planet.
0: <laughs> and both of those, and truthfully, probably what's way more important is those two little boys than those 4,000 girls, you know, but um, our world defines it a little bit differently, so... Yeah,
1: yeah. And the tape suite heard and played over in our head yeah. and what success was and you know you've heard me say a million times comparison is the kiss of death of gratitude yeah. and there's always all of us have people that are more quote successful and less successful we don't worry about the ones who are less successful right. we look at it, well, gosh how come I don't have this 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 and i think that's a healthy tension for everyone yeah. um but i love hearing your your own journey.
0: Yeah. Cause I so badly want to be used by the Lord and that's a good desire, but yes. it can get away from me in both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, imperceptible influence is very right. difficult to measure. We don't know how God's using us when you're a faithful mom and a faithful wife yeah. and a faithful steward of you know, whatever you have in front of you and how other people see that. One of my closest friends is been a pastor and a missionary and he would compare himself to me a little bit as being, you know, quote, more successful, close quote. And I would always tell him, I said, You greatly underestimate the fact when you stand up in the pulpit, you love your wife yeah. You're faithful to your wife. Yeah. You're raising your kids. You brag about your grandkids. You're in the word. You're sharing Christ with non-Christian friends. I mean, you don't know when people go home and they say, you know, I'll just call him Joe. Pastor Joe, you know, he talks about his wife in such great terms. Yeah, Pastor Joe loves his kids. Pastor Joe's, you know, working hard. And I just don't think any of us will know that maybe until glory. Uh, let's move on. Number three, do you have a key or a favorite book of the Bible?
0: I do. I think Philippians is probably my favorite mm. and Philippians 2, that chapter is my favorite. I love, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. I hate it. I love it. You know, it's yeah. one of those, but in humility, consider others' interests is more important than your own. That's a verse I've come back to in some ways more than any verse in the Bible. And again, it's like correcting my sinful nature and having to stop in a situation and go, okay, What does it look like for me to consider that person's interests Mm. as more important than my own? They're not, it doesn't say they are more important, but it says I need to consider them. And how Mm. might that change the way that I respond or decide or whatever? And then I love the latter part of that chapter do nothing with complaining or arguing. And by not complaining or arguing, that makes us blameless and pure and mm-hmm. makes us shine like stars in the universe in a crooked and depraved perverse perver- yeah, a per- perverse, perverse generation. generation. And I mean, I'm sure it was a crooked and perverse generation when Paul wrote that, but it definitely is still today. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just think all the time how we all think, yeah, I want to be blameless and pure. I want to be considered righteous. And so I probably have to do all these things. And I mean, if we just go on that verse, it's actually the app. It's not doing something. It's mm-hmm. not complaining. It's not arguing. And wow, how countercultural is that today? And just the whole chapter of, you know, it's really having the attitude and the mind of Christ and humbling ourselves, obedience to the Lord, obedience for him to the cross. And yeah, I love that chapter. So good. Very good. Very good. Joy amidst pain and suffering.
1: (laughs) After the Bible, one, two, three books that have been particularly helpful or impactful in your life?
0: Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, you know, I'm a reader. I love to read and learn. And if i Feel out of control about something like, you know, sleep training children, or (laughs) like, I'll read 10 books on it to get out of control. I love your generation,
1: sleep training children. We never even thought about those things. Go to (laughs) bed. Well, yeah, because I want my child to go to bed. Well, no, Alex y'all are seeing, smarter. No, I'm, I'm I mean tired. That.
0: And again, I'm a young mom, but I'm not a young mom. I'm 36. I need to sleep, people. <laughs> um,
1: no, I mean that in a positive way. You all are smarter than us. We didn't know we didn't know.
0: We'll screw up our kids in, <laughs> and same in different ways. The first books that come to mind, Shadow of the Almighty. Hmm. Elizabeth Elliott wrote yeah. that about her husband, her first husband, Jim. Barbara Brand gave me that book. As part of our high school graduation gift. Really? I didn't know. She wrote a note in it basically saying, I read this in college and it was one of the most impactful books for me.
1: You know, here it is for you. And
0: I'm sure there are a lot of 18 year olds that like wouldn't have taken that to college. But I did. I took it to college. I read it my freshman year at Belmont University and it. It was really just the first time I think I had sat down and looked at what it looks like to radically live for Christ. And, you know, Jim and Elizabeth were in college when a lot of, she includes a lot of their letters back and forth. And I mean, they're like 20, 19 years old, writing this stuff and blowing my mind. Like these Pretty people, profound stuff. Yeah. Yep. So that was huge for me. Another one later, probably, gosh, I don't know when it came out. Donald Miller's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And that wasn't like spiritually, you know, whatever for me, but it's really about taking agency of your life and realizing you have a lot of control over the Mm -hmm. story that you are writing with your life. Of course, God is the big A author, but you have a lot of control as the little A author. And just thinking through who are the people that I really want in my life? What are the the challenges that I want to go after? And it just kind of helped me... I don't know. Maybe stop going with the flow as much in life and really thinking more about. I can. When did you read that? I think honestly, it came out like in 2008 or nine, so it would have been right out of grad school, early young professional years. You're um, not
1: married yet. No, not yeah, married yeah.
0: yet. Interesting. And so that was a big one. And then another one. I mean, there's so many. Howard Hendricks, Living by the Book, was huge for me. Just really feeling. Confident as a lay person in studying the Bible. And then last one, I'll say, oh gosh, I could keep going. But mom's book on submission, on dancing with the one you love. There are a couple chapters in there, but one particularly about Janet Partial and her story of just realizing, you know, this whole women want to have it all, but we can't have it all, but we can, you know, all these different things. And a really Janet has accomplished so much in her professional career, but she had a law degree and she chose to stay home and be a stay at home mom for like 20 years. But the huge takeaway for me in her story was it would be easy to look at that and go, man, she just like for her professional career, that was just a waste. It was a 20 year you know waiting period. And none of those years are in vain. The Lord used All of those. And again, reframing my mind, those 20 years are probably more important than all of the rest of Janet's professional years, but how every season of life is different, but not one day is wasted in the kingdom of God. And that was a big lesson for me to learn on the front
1: end. When we continue, I need to continue to learn. What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned at this point in your life?
0: I think... I mean, I feel like so much of what we've already talked about (laughs) is all wrapped up into it. But I think going back to your catchphrase of, you know, are you going to be who God created you to be no matter your circumstance? I think that's the lesson that I've had to learn over and over, or really the question I've had to ask myself over and over and over. Life almost never looks like we think it's going to. Our circumstances are never going to be ideal or what we hoped or dreamed. I mean, some of them certainly have come to fruition for me, but, but not all. And going, okay, this is the day the Lord has made for me. This is the circumstances. As long as I'm trying to follow Christ, that's my aim. I'm right where he wants me to be, mm-hmm. even when it's not where I want to be. Yeah. And so how do I keep an eternal perspective? How do I try to be the will of God today, have the mind of Christ, have the, you know, be exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, even when nothing around me is going (laughs) on the way I want it to. And I think that's every new season, every day, every month, whatever. That's Mm -hmm. the the thing I keep coming back to.
1: When we recently interviewed Dr. Joshua Jip out of Trinity Evangelical Seminary, and we talked about the book of Colossians with Joshua and one of the things that he and I kept circling back to was Christology and how any Christian keeps Christ forefront with the day-to-day operations of, in your case, being a young mom, two small boys, uh, your family, budgeting, life, you know, taking care of all the, you know, the dailiness we all have to face. And uh, he and I talked at length about how do you get your eyes off the horizontal and onto the vertical once in a while. I don't think any of us ever learned that perfectly. I sure Mm -hmm. haven't. Mm -hmm. I can be I mean my a lot. What is one thing you long for every other believer to know, to do, to live out?
0: Mm. I think if we understood and grasped just like a fraction of the true character of God and then what that means for our true identity in Christ, I think we would live radically different. Mm. (laughs) I think we would be running after the Lord, trying to spend more time in His Word. You know, if we understood who He was and how much He loved us, there would be so much motivation for us to have greater fellowship mm-hmm. with Him. And then in turn, I think that would dramatically change how we treat other people, whether it's our spouse or our children or the woman at Kroger checking out my groceries. Or, And I think there's so much... Just anxiety and restlessness. And I mean, most believers have no peace. They are wound up tight. And I get it. I mean, we're living in a crazy time right now. But I think that something I think about a lot is that we should be known by our peaceful countenance, by the fact that we can have joy amidst hardship, by the fact that we love people that are really difficult to love. Like These should be no-brainer markers for us and not to do those things out of our own effort. But again, going back to if we understood the true character of God and our own identity in Christ, I think those things would come out of us with less effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Greatest disappointment in your context of ministry, vocation, community, whatever?
0: I think. Truthfully and very personally, I think my greatest disappointment is my relationship with two of my siblings. And just, I mean, going back to my context, I live where y'all live. And so when I think about family, I don't just think about me as a wife and mom, I think about me as a daughter and a sister. And, you know, I desire so badly to be a great big sister and to have a great relationship with my three younger siblings. And I do with one of them. And that is a joy and a blessing to me. But, I mean, certainly life's greatest disappointment for me is my relationship with my two hmm. youngest siblings. And not just our relationship, but like I want God's best for them. And, you know, they're not anywhere near that right now. And and that God and I talk about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they would become Easleys to uh turn out as if they had been orphan children in foster care their whole lives and that's I don't know.
1: I don't either. Let's change gears. (laughs) How about the greatest encouragement (laughs) in your ministry, life, context, vocation, community, whatever?
0: The first thing that comes to mind, the things that encourage me the most are when I see young women that I've had the opportunity to mentor and walk alongside with, to see them really get it. There's one who, I bet she just turned 26. I've known her since she was 18. She was not a believer when I met her at 18, became a believer Um, At the end of college, she worked for me all four years. I mean, this girl was with me three to five days a week, you know, tons of tons of time. I spent tons of time with her, love her dearly. And man, she is running so hard after Christ today. And I mean, that encourages me and blesses Mm -hmm. me more than, Mm -hmm. man, more than anything.
1: And that's, you know, admonition to all of us is you don't understand the influence you have, just being faithful and loving people around you and, uh, you know. I pray that, like you, every believer has that relational, you know, experience Mm -hmm. where they've they've known someone, they've talked to them. God uses us. I mean, this person may or may—no, this person would come to Christ in spite of you or me. Yeah. But when you see God using you and how they come back to you for that, that's the joy of discipleship. That's the joy of seeing Christ use us in in eternal ways. If you could write a letter to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give? (laughs)
0: I think I would tell myself to hold my plans loosely and to worry more about my spiritual growth and running hard after Christ than a lot of the other goals and things I had set myself up for. You know, I mean, when I was 18, I was headed off to Belmont University, the only college I applied to go to, because I was going to do music. Because for 18, we'll say, 16 16, years I had decided that I was going to be in the music industry and be an artist. And, you know, I mean, God took me on a totally different path and I am so grateful to where I am today, but that was a hard, I mean, obviously I am the one who made decisions to walk away from that path, but I think if I had known, I would have had a lot less anxiety, a lot more peace. And I think to, You know, I don't know at 18 how spiritually minded you can be when you've got your whole life ahead of you and you think you've got to accomplish all these things. But, you know, everything will turn out just like it's supposed to if you keep your eyes on him. And
1: you realize that's half a lifetime ago for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 36, 18. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy.
1: It is crazy. What do you want your epitaph to say?
0: yeah, I looked at this question last night and was like, I can't believe everyone's answered this. <laughs> Such a Michael-Easy question that, of course, you already knew your answer, and Everyone else was like, I don't know. If
1: it's any consolation, Wayne, my friend, who's part of our church, Stonebridge, said, you know you've become known as the pastor of death and retirement. Totally.
0: <laughs> totally. Uh, I would want it to say, and this feels like a very tall ambition, but she loved well. And meaning I love the Lord well, my husband, my children, my neighbors, you know, the everyone that, why am I crying? Like, I'm dead. I don't care. <laughs> but, but truly, I mean, gosh, for people to feel like that woman loved people, loved the Lord and loved people well, that would be, I could die happy.
1: Well, any consolation, your old man thinks you're already doing that. So you're you're, 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 you're you're well on your way. So for our friends and podcast listeners, and if you share these kind of things, I got a challenge for you. We're going to put these 10 questions on the show notes. We want you to answer them and send us your answers. I love that. You don't have to identify yourself if you don't want to. But this is, you know, these are clarifying questions. Yeah. These, these make you think. Just watching and when you asked me. It's hard to make an answer to that because yeah. I don't, part of it is we don't want the definitiveness of saying this is, totally. a, you know, so, but get over that. You can write them in pencil, metaphorically and literally. So take the 10 questions off the show notes and send them to us. If you want to give us your first name, we'll use it, but I think it'd be great for our friends to hear yeah, some other, other people. people's answers that. to these.
0: And just another idea off the top of my head, if you were in a small group, this could be something that you just do one question, you know, everyone answers one question a week for the next 10 weeks or in your family, if you're, you know, parents with teens or, I mean, a little people honestly could answer some of these, but going around and just one question a night at the dinner table for mm-hmm. the next 10 dinners that you all sit together, that would be, I think that would be really fun to share with your family, your small group, people that you know and love. I'm kind of known for asking hard questions at times, whether it's at family gatherings, yeah. birthdays, or we um, will have people over and people are like, oh, God, Hannah, why are you? You know, I get it because I don't like when people ask me either, but I think on the other side, it is nice when someone asks you hard questions because otherwise you're never well, you, about this stuff. Well, you talk and, about
1: what you ate in the restaurants and movies and yeah. you know, what did you binge watch on Netflix yeah. and what should I watch? And Rarely do we, you know, I have a number of groups that meet on Ongoing basis. and I'm known for asking some irritating questions too. And sometimes they don't work, sometimes they die, Which but other not? times it becomes a rich conversation. And people say, no, I haven't thought about that. And the dailiness of life yeah. uh, nibbles away at the big questions, and we don't yeah. pause to say, You know, and you know, if you don't have a favorite book of the Bible or a key verse, that's not bad, but. That also reflects maybe you need to spend a little more time in a word. Maybe there's one that would resonate with you. If you haven't read some books that have really caused you to think, pick up a book, maybe cause you to think. So, Anyway, so let us know. Share it with your small group, as Hannah suggested, or your family or a close group of friends. Maybe if some uh, young moms are hearing this, grab three or four of your girlfriends and go through one or two questions and just see where it goes. But let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Send us some of your answers. We'll protect your identity if you want, obviously. This is Michael Easley in Context. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for your financial support. We greatly appreciate it. We run completely on donations from men and women who love the Lord and and want to help us in this ministry. God bless you. Have a great week. And until next time, we'll see you then.
0: Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.